0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is Entertainment Writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. Both of us have just watched episode four of Moon Knight We'll discuss that at length in the second half of today's show. Likewise, cast member previews for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind began at Epcot's World Discovery back on April 17, 2022. A few folks uh, who took part in the previews have been kind enough to share their thoughts on this family thrill coaster. And we'll be talking about that also in the second half of the show. Also worth noting, the long-promised and yet-to-be-seen teaser trailer for Thor Love and Thunder actually dropped on Monday. I'll tell you what, the Thor and Love and Thunder trailer we can talk about on the front half of the show uh, in the news portion of this podcast. And speaking of news... The news portion of this week's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, and before we plunge into all of the Marvel news, Aaron, you have finally gotten to see the Batman. So what did you think?
1: I'm so mixed on this movie because there are parts of it that I really, really enjoy mm-hmm. quite immensely. Mm-hmm. And there are other parts that I have a seething white hot hatred for. Uh, so it's it's a, a mixed bag here and there, depending on how critical you are of certain things. Mm-hmm. And so I'll get into some of the mild things that I think were just, um, you know, like Robert Pattinson as Batman. I'm fine with him as an actor and, and mm-hmm. portraying Batman. I think that's all fine. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Robert's take on this character is before we had... Christian Bale who I'm the Batman and I'm mm-hmm. And and uh, so Robert Pattinson thinks well I've got to do something different from that so he whispers throughout the whole thing I am the night I am the shadows I am everywhere I am the Batman and so uh, three hours almost of just whispering I am the Batman. I'm coming to avenge the death of my family. It's really, really annoying after a while. And then to top it off, because I think, you know, he's doing it. So when he's doing a scene with Gordon, all of a sudden Gordon's like, Batman, why did this guy get killed? I don't know, Commissioner Gordon. It's a mystery. Yeah, it is a mystery. What do you think we should do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? And it's like just it's five minutes of two guys just whispering to one another in a crowded room. And so they were said, well, we're kind of making Kurt Cobain as our, our fixture for what uh, Bruce Wayne is. And I'm like, that's not Kurt Cobain, man. You should have a screaming guitar and, and be Ellen. I am vengeance at the top of your lungs. And, um, I think that's what me and one of my friends who were discussing the movie. We wanted an unhinged Batman and actually if they would have reversed the way that the Riddler Mm -hmm. because the Riddler sometimes he would just randomly scream in rage Mm -hmm. and then he would go back to quiet. And I think if if Paul Dano's Riddler would have stayed quiet and more in control, Mm -hmm. he would have been much more terrifying. And if Batman were to have been a screaming rage lunatic, that would have been also terrifying. (laughs) And well, because Batman's supposed to have an actual character arc, because this is only year two of his existence as a thing. Mm -hmm. And part of it is he starts off with, I am vengeance. Mm -hmm. And then late, late in the movie, some bad guy says, I am vengeance. And he goes, oh, I got to change my thing now, damn it. And so now I got to be a helping hand, I guess. And then he goes and actually starts helping people. So, I mean, the character change is, is rather abrupt and on the nose and all that, but Overall, instead of having three hours of whispering Batman through the whole damn movie, his parents were murdered, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're going to be silly enough to dress up as a bat to scare the out of criminals, you have to have an unhinged lunacy and rage behind that to get you started down that path. He doesn't have to be that way forever. It's just I think it's a better starting point because the quiet emo kid... He sits in the corner quietly by himself, but he doesn't beat up on people. He's usually the one that gets beat up on. And so it's, it's like that's not that character that you're portraying would never find himself in this position ever. It's not that character's trait to do that kind of thing. You need a roid, raged jock muscle head to get bulked up enough to take on guys with guns and knives to beat the crap out of and think, yeah, I can take them. Right? you, you got to be on a different mental level and it's got to be more crazy. So Whispery Batman, tr- trade it for a, a screaming, rage, lunatic Batman and all of a sudden it's, it's like a masterpiece of a movie because the faults are few and far between. Hmm. When the movie started, we get the introduction of the Riddler. Mm -hmm. And I got to say that first five minutes, I don't want to give anything about how that plays out Mm -hmm. away at all. I just want to say it scared the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. It had me still and quiet in my seat. I was so still because I was afraid to tremble, Mm -hmm. like movement might draw the attention of an unwanted visitor my way. Oh, it was creepy. And it it was tense. and And as soon as the movie started, I said, oh, my God, this is a great serial killer movie. I cannot wait. And so the movie starts, and then we get introduced to Batman who whispers for the next three hours. And I went, okay, so I tell you what, if, if Commissioner Gordon is a cop, let's just pretend he's got a partner played by Robert Pattinson, and he just likes to dress up as Batman, okay? That's a much better movie, I think, where one guy is just a little bit off. It's good cop, slightly crazy cop who dresses up as Batman, and then they go through and they do a detective movie like Seven you know, where it's, Mm -hmm. it's uh, Brad Pitt and and Morgan Freeman. Uh, That's, that's the dynamic right there. And and you chase the serial killer until about three quarters of the way through the serial killer goes, here I am in plain daylight, come get me. And then the rest of the plan uh, uh, unfolds while the prisoner is behind bars. And that's a a sign of a genius plan when it can go off Mm -hmm. while they are held in custody by the police. Right. So, to wrap things up quickly, the Riddler's riddles are are fun and brilliant and grotesque and gory and sinister, and and they push the Riddler in, in such a direction I never thought we would go in that I have a very high appreciation for them using Zodiac and movies like Seven mm-hmm. as inspiration for that. It was just a brilliant, brilliant move. Where it stops is when they show Paul Dano's face because he looks like he's 12 still. That guy does not age. He is the uh, eternal youth Guy, his cheeks are so pinchable. How can you be afraid of this guy? He's too, he's too sweet. Aunt Ruth just wants to pinch those cheeks. You know, Paul Dano, he's got cheeks, man. He does. He does. And he and he looks young, and it's it's really hard to feel threatened from from him. Mm -hmm. But uh, he does a good job. He's a good actor, and and I like what he did with the Riddler. It's just when the mask comes off, I go, he's too cute to be a threat. Come on, you want to give the guy a hug? But yeah, as it as it ends, Mm -hmm. here's the thing. And I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but Batman fails on every level. Um, Everyone who is intended to be murdered by the serial killer gets Mm -hmm. murdered. And the plan where everything goes kablooey goes kablooey. And uh, Batman does not stop it. He is a hopeless witness to all of that stuff happening. And all of this would have played out the exact same whether Batman was in the movie or not and you, and you go well world's greatest detective maybe on the slow side of figuring things out as he goes oh hey the vans are about to uh never mind guys uh, hey i heard they had shawarma that worked in the avengers movie anyone want to go sh- for shawarma <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> so it's it's a great movie if you're a fan of zodiac and seven and mm-hmm. you like the riddler and and all that it's it's a great great movie because uh, oh and w- one last thing mm-hmm. I saw this toy for Hot Toys, and, you know, they make incredibly realistic toys, Mm -hmm. and it was Batman in a wingsuit. And I figured before I saw the movie, Mm -hmm. well, maybe it's like that one scene where Christian Bale had to fly into a building and capture someone and air vac out. So he's going to carry a suitcase maybe to a top of a building and wingsuit to another building or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it would obviously take time because these things are cumbersome and hard to put on. And there's a scene in the movie that I don't want to give away, but someone says, You got to do X. And I went, No. Hmm. And uh, Batman goes to the location and he pulls on like a a little strap. Hmm. And all of a sudden, his cape magically, with the power of CGI, turns into a completely different garment altogether that is now attached at the wrists and the ankles and is made of different fabric. And it was one of those things where I had to stop the movie and rewind it three or four times to go, how in the hell are they trying to explain this? And they don't. They just kind of hide it away in in darkness and just go, hey, he's wearing a wingsuit now because he pulled on the magic bat zipper that transforms his cloak into a completely different thing. And then the flying scene looked really hokey and bad. And I was just like, you know, guys, after editing that together, maybe you should just cut that out. And, and went, well, his Batmobile was around the corner and he drove away. <laughs> Oh, dear.
0: Well, I, I, I think my one very prominent takeaway here is that when Nancy and I sit down to watch this, we'll put the closed captioning on. So, you know, they can whisper all they want.
1: If you're a fan of Ave Maria, mm-hmm. you got to leave the volume up because they use that track about five different times over the course of three hours. Uh, so, yeah. Yikes. Okay. Good times. Good uh, times.
0: All right. Well, pivoting now to that long-awaited Thor Love and Thunder teaser trailer, which uh, for my money did not disappoint. This trailer actually seemed short, a minute and 30 seconds. What did you think?
1: It's too, too beautiful is the starting point for, for this trailer. I, well, I will m- notice one thing in particular. There is a, a shot of Thor dead center, mm-hmm. and then Korg is immediately to his... Right mm. on the screen. It'd be Thor's left, our right. Mm-hmm. However, there's a big gap to the other side of Thor. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder, just like we were missing Spidey's in that first trailer with the three villains attacking the one Spider Man. And I said, Hey, there should be two other Spider Men according to the framing of this shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's someone missing to Thor's other side. Uh people are speculating it's Beta Ray Bill.
0: Oh. Wouldn't that
1: be interesting if they brought him into the storyline? Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't seen Gore the god killer yet in the trailer, and I'm sure that there are going to be secrets that they want to keep hidden until the last minute. But mm-hmm. the way that shot is framed, there is an empty dead space to the left-hand side of Thor in that shot. And that is because there's going to be another character there somewhere put in later. And we just don't know who that is or why they're being hidden for the moment.
0: Well, it's interesting you mention a missing character because when we get to see the Guardians gang, we get Peter Quill, we get Drax, we get Groot, we get Rocket, we get Nebula and Mentis, but no Gamora. So I'm assuming we got to wait till volume three till- Well, we, she's still
1: you know. not in love with because we have the old Gamora. So she's not yet in love with Peter and is probably off doing her own thing. And, and maybe volume three is like the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. It's the search for Gamora.
0: Okay, okay. Who knows? Beyond that, we got uh, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie in an an outfit I did not expect. You know, her in a suit leading a meeting in New Asgard that looked rather corporate. We did get a shot of someone from behind wielding a a golden lightning bolt that, from what they're saying online, appears to be Russell Crowe. Zeus? Yeah. Yeah.
1: We're getting the old gods. I feel like, you know, Wonder Woman did it rather well with Mm -hmm. their incorporation of the old Olympian gods, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So the fact that we're getting a Zeus, I think his his lightning bolt looks like it's made of plastic. Mm -hmm. And that's rather unfortunate. I don't know. Maybe it's one of them things, you know, like Thor's got a hammer. Maybe Zeus had a metal lightning bolt made. I just thought his lightning would be physical lightning, not a Hasbro plastic toy looking thing.
0: Well, again, remember this is Taika Watiti and and, and and this is
1: no. Like I said, I mean, it, it could it could be you know like a, a physical manifestation of his power. It could be so many stupid things. Mm-hmm. I just when I saw it, I was like, oh, so that's their lightning bolt. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, the fact that Russell Crowe is playing it and he's got his arms up and it makes me want to hear in my head, "Are you not entertained?" Mm-hmm. Uh, when he when he's got his arms out like that.
0: But now we have to talk about the the final image in this trailer that bicep and and who's behind that bicep
1: well natalie portman you know Mm -hmm. she's always looked great no matter what she's doing but Mm -hmm. uh it does look like she spent some time in the gym to get all ripped to be able to wield mjolnir but you know it's not about the weight of the hammer it's about the purity of the soul Mm -hmm. so apparently uh she's doing some righteous work to be able to hold the hammer did you notice the cracks in mjolnir
0: i did not
1: Next time you take a look, yeah, that, because, uh, you know, it was uh, Hella mm-hmm. that grabbed the hammer and then squeezed it and shattered it into a bazillion little pieces. Mm-hmm. So when you see the hammer, you'll see the cracks where it's been reforged into one. So that was a neat little detail added in there. Also, did you happen to catch the glimpse of Toothnasher and Tooth Grinder, the goats pulling the the boat out into space?
0: I, I They're fleeting, but it's like, oh. They are for
1: just a second, yeah.
0: But also, let's talk about who we don't see in this trailer. We don't see Christian Bale. Right. We don't have any idea what Gore the God Butcher looks like. And there's been a lot of talk online to the effect of, well, the reason you're not seeing him is they redid the look. They're doing those reshoots on Manhattan Beach, and they've been supposedly adjusting the tone and how the villain is supposed to be perceived in Thor Love and Thunder and I was talking with a friend of the show who basically called shenanigans on that. It's like the container ships full of the Thor Love and Thunder Legos. Right. They sailed months ago. Likewise, the action figures. It's like, no, they're not changing his look. They're not changing his costume. That's the same. This was all about tone. And supposedly, I think they, they've they wrapped at this point and are now editing away, which brings me to... Uh, I, I love Bruce Campbell, and Bruce was out there being interviewed in the past week or so, and he got asked about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, where they're, they're supposedly still making teeny tiny itty bitty tweaks because, of course, we're, we're two weeks out from this movie now arriving in theaters. And you know, but Bruce has been hearing from Sam about what's going on. And and when asked what he personally witnessed at Triglitz Studios, he said, look, the Marvel guys, they make eight of these movies at the same time. So they're always updating storylines. So my buddy Sam has had to add scenes that Marvel told him he had to shoot, and he's removed scenes that no longer apply. So until May rolls around, I don't think... Benedict Cumberbatch even knows if he's in this movie or not, so I dearly hope we get more Bruce Campbell between here and when this movie comes out on the 6th. Oh, there's been a lot of talk lately, uh, especially on the heels of Elizabeth Olsen signing that brand new contract with uh, Marvel. Uh, A lot of comments about the amount of screen time that Scarlet Witch gets in this thing, that... This is our our nice, tight Marvel movie. What is it, two hours and five minutes was the the running time? Yep. Uh, But evidently, Elizabeth may have as much, maybe even a little more screen time than than Benedict Cumberbatch does. On the other hand, Multiverse of Madness is dealing with a teeny bit of, of bad publicity at the moment. I don't know... Are, are you familiar with, with Joe Casey? He's a, a comic book writer for Marvel. No, what'd do he do? Well, no, actually, he's the guy who created America Chavez, the uh, character that Socio Gomez is playing in this Doctor Strange film. Marvel tried to offer him compensation for the fact that his character, the character that he created for the Marvel comic books, is in this MCU film. And normally, when you have a problem like this, a disgruntled Individual, You know, in Hollywood, the, what you do is you pull out your checkbook, you write a very large number, and the problem goes away. But, but that's the thing about Joe Casey. He's relatively well off, at, at least as far as comic book writers go. And he's not exactly disgruntled. What he was really looking for and decided to sort of stick his flag in the ground at this moment is for decent treatment by Disney and Marvel Studios, of the creators. The folks who actually come up with these characters for the Marvel comics, which in turn Marvel Studios takes and drops into their MCU films. And, and here's the thing that Casey had to say. I'm a happy guy. I'm not disgruntled. I'm not bitter. Because I know how this goes. I also know that this is how you change things, by talking about them. For me, it's not about money. It's not even about the respect. I would never expect to be respected by a corporation. If I'm in a position where I can afford not to take their insult of an offer and then be able to talk about it, maybe the next guy, where that kind of money could change their life, will get a fair shot at receiving that money. And it's like, This isn't a guy who, if you show up with the, you know, again, that check with a very large number on it is going to stop talking. Look how hard Jack Kirby had to fight for recognition or the gentleman behind Superman, or for that matter, uh, Batman. Again, what intrigues me about what Mr. Casey is doing is making this not about money, but money for other people. Right. Speaking of Disney Plus, where these limited series end up, did you see where this past Monday, that subscription streaming service had to admit that a number of episodes for different series, among them, Agent Carter and X-Men, a likewise animated series like DuckTales and Owl House, had suddenly gone missing? And we live in a time where people love conspiracies, but the reality is in a situation like this, more often than not, the reason that a number of episodes might disappear from a series accidental. And in fact, Disney was Plus was very quick to, to step up and look, we're having a technical issue. Staffers here were working on it. We hope to have all of the, the problems resolved by close of business on Monday. I've reached out to get some confirmation on that and they haven't heard back from them yet. But me personally, when it comes to Agent Carter, if episodes are missing of that series, a quick way to fix that is to call Haley Atwell and, hey, make another season of Agent Carter. You know, I, I, given how popular that character's appearances uh, as Captain Britain were on Marvel's What If, the, the animated series from last year, I'm honestly surprised that no one at Disney Plus or Marvel Studios has, has thought about pursuing this idea, doing something more with Haley. Have you seen the toys
1: of uh, Captain Carter and the. He he looks like the Iron Giant to me, but it's a uh, little little skinny Chris Evans oh, no. character inside no, the bill. I have not who, who, who made those. I want to say the Marvel Legends series oh. from was it Hasbro that that's making them, mm-hmm. and uh, so like their other Marvel Legends have been leaning towards a more realistic mm-hmm. look. They mm-hmm. they kind of in the earlier days they were very very the original cartoon versions or the very very early. Uh, comic book versions of all of the characters Mm -hmm. and as time went on they needed you know the 50th iteration of an iron man Mm -hmm. and they finally got to where they were looking more realistic and these are straight up off the cartoon in 3d form of they look like they're hand drawn but they're in your hand in 3d -hmm. and uh, they look really really great and they have (sighs) basically all of the characters from the what if series Mm -hmm. They had the evil version of Strange. They had, I want to say, Spider-Man wearing the cape, the levitation cloak mm-hmm. thing. And then they had a zombie Captain America, the Captain Carter, and then uh, Skinny Steve Rogers in his giant Iron Man Stark suit.
0: Oh, I didn't need another thing to collect. Yeah,
1: they look really good. You should check into them. They're they're fun.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, since we're talking about Disney+, and I know how much you... Enjoyed the Netflix series that recently came over to Disney, the uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist and the, the, the group. Have you seen the ad that they put together to promote those as well as Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.?
1: No, there's a ad, it's running, where where does this ad run?
0: It's popping up the uh, Twitter, YouTube, and the like, but it's okay. done in the TikTok past the phone format, so it starts out uh-huh. with Simone Missick, who plays Misty Knight and Luke Cage, and this actress calls out the person whose life goal is to give Matt Murdock a hard time and then on screen is uh, Christian Rader, who promptly throws the call, so to speak, to someone who's driven into the pursuit of truth and justice. And now we get Iron Fist Finn Jones, who then chooses to hand off to Clark Gregg, who then talks about his favorite superhero, which turns out to be Charlie Cox, the star of Daredevil. And- Wait a minute. Does, does Coulson have... Mint condition, vintage Daredevil
1: trading cards with slight foxing around the edges.
0: No, but he, he's a little, you know. He needs Clark needs a shave. He's got he's getting okay. gray. And to close out the the ad, uh, the Daredevil actor uh, passes the torch one final time, with his pick being someone who is a force to be reckoned with, which turns out to be Ming Na Wen. But it made me think that I really miss. Agent Coulson, I would really like him to show up in you know as that character in some Marvel Studios project. I mean, they brought him back for the dead. You know, couldn't he be in the? Yeah, holo-
1: but then they retire him again to TED. I mean, they've written his character off two or three times now. At some point, you just got to let the man take a rest and and let it be.
0: He could. He could come back in Werewolf by Night. Uh,
1: No, you're in denial, Jim. I know the first step is denial. Then there's anger, and uh, then there's uh, bartering. I'd do anything to have Coulson back. Mm. Take my wife, please. It just doesn't work. He's gone, Jim. Not in Werewolf by Night either. But continue with the Werewolf by Night story.
0: Well, all right. There's a, a blog called After Hours Media that has evidently been keeping very close tabs on this project and they've decided to go old school. They're going with a mix of practical effects and CG and in this case, somebody got to see some shots from the set and it was a a stunt performer in full on werewolf makeup. So in a weird sort of way, we're getting kind of a throwback to John Landis and American Werewolf in London.
1: Don't you get my hopes up like that, Jim. That, um, that's holy ground that you're dancing on there. I, I want you to I know.
0: I know. I know. Okay. I can you know that, that favorite film of mine as well. I don't think anybody's quite mixed comedy and full-on horror the way Landis no. did in that film. And that,
1: that is currently the bar for the werewolf movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite times at Universal, Florida was for one of the Halloween Horror Nights, they actually did an American werewolf in London maze and full-on leaned into it. They had yeah. a bunch of the werewolves practically, and it was just come around a corner and have that thing coming at you. And, and you know, and you, you'd lean into one corner and then they'd have it come at you again from a, a you know, different place in the dark. It, it just... I had to change my adult diaper. Is the, the polite way of putting it.
1: I want to call out to Marvel because I know that we talk to them directly and they listen. Mm-hmm. By God, do they listen to every word we say? Mm. Remember the scene in the theater of American Werewolf in London with his friend Jack and yes. the dangly bits. Mm-hmm. And as as the movie progressed, uh, Jack he decomposed. He was rotting it flesh. And uh, the the pretty blonde girl with her throat slit, and she turns around. And she's so smiley and so polite and so mm-hmm. cheerful mm-hmm. with a big, huge gash out of her freaking neck. It was horrifying. Mm-hmm. It was unsettling. It was gory and gross and bloody and funny mm-hmm. all in the same like ten frames of film. And I think that Marvel just really, really needs to embrace the idea that a werewolf eats people, and that there will be blood. Much like the name of that movie by that one guy, that <laughs> Paul Thomas Sanders, there will be blood. Mm-hmm. And uh, there should be lots of blood. So lean into it. Know what your subject is and be okay with that. And then embrace that. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on.
0: Okay, well, you were just talking about the scene from a you know, werewolf in London, them sitting in the theater. I would imagine that Florida personal trainer Romero Alanis who spent 89 days? Uh, this is from December 6, 2021, through March 15th of this year. He looked pretty rough as well, given that every day he would go to his local movie theater and then watch three screenings of Spider-Man No Way Home back to back each day. Doing this allowed Ramiro to break the Guinness Book of World Records listing for the most theatrical viewings attended of a single motion picture. He closed his run out after watching Spider-Man No Way Home 292 times. But at the same time, if you spent that much time in a movie theater, I would imagine you're ready for another form of media, like, say, a podcast. Not this show, mind you, but the new scripted Squirrel Girl podcast, which debuted on various platforms earlier this week. This is Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, a uh, six-episode extravaganza from Radio Point, takes its inspiration from the Squirrel Girl comic that Ryan North wrote her on, and features Milna Vartub. Uh You know her from the AT&T ads. Oh, yeah.
1: Awesome. Okay, cool.
0: Yep. But she, uh, she does the voice of Doreen Green and Squirrel Girl. And look, I love Squirrel Girl, but... If I'm being honest here, the Marvel-related animal character that I currently have questions about is that hippopotamus Egyptian god thingy I just saw in episode four of Moon Knight, which Aaron and I will discuss in a moment. And we're back, and Aaron, you have two genuinely intriguing stories from this week's news.
1: Yeah, we're going to start off with some homegrown Spider-Man news. This goes goes back to the comics, and uh, since I'm such a fan, and I was always a collector of Amazing Spider-Man, they're relaunching The Amazing Spider-Man, so we'll have a new number one issue coming out. Uh, I want to say it will be... In the month of April still, but when we get to issues six and seven, Spidey gets a new costume, and normally when Spidey gets a new costume, it's kind of newsy-ish sometimes, at least to fans in the comic book community. Uh, There's rumblings. Oh, Spider-Man's getting a new costume. What's it look like? And then usually people complain about the changes (laughs) that were made to it. So I guess the good news right now is that Spider-Man's new costume uh, looks pretty much like the traditional. It's the red and the blue in the the same markings that you're you're used to with some flourishes, some mild additions. And one I got to say is the most crazy addition thus far is a fanny pack. Hmm. I never thought we would uh, give our hero a fanny pack, but that is indeed what they did. And apparently, those will hold egg bombs, and they're little bombs that are full of thousands of baby nano spiders. Oh. Okay. So, this is OzCorp technology, and you know how the Green Goblin has a pumpkin bomb? Mm hmm. And he's got a a pouch that's slung over his shoulder. Usually, these are goblin tweaks to Spidey's costume. So that's the fanny pack now with a bomb that shoots that is full of little nano spiders. Uh, The next change is in the face mask. It's no longer fabric. It's a a shell of a head that the dimensions look the same. Like if you were to look at it, you would not notice a difference the way that it's drawn. However, they are implying that it it is indeed a digital mask. So the eyes and the webbing can be replaced by a question mark. If, if Spidey is confused, this whole face will just turn into one big yellow question mark on a red background. What? What did you say? If he doesn't believe you and he needs an exclamation mark, bang, that's his face. And then it will go back to his big eyes with his normal web face. And uh, that's interesting because the way that they draw it, you don't notice that there's a change all the time. He He looks normal. Um, last thing that we're going to talk about uh, as we move on is his backpack is now a thing. Normally it's just a a big red spider emblem on his back Mm -hmm. and they've decided to give this function. And uh, I'm going to show you how well I am at contradicting myself. This will look awesome in print. If they ever do it in film, I'll burn down the theater. That's how strongly I feel about this. Um, The backpack looks like the normal spider. It's the big giant red kind with the four little stubby legs. Mm -hmm. However, there are blue extensions onto those legs, and they kind of wrap around the shoulders, and they blend into the blue of the suit, so they're not super noticeable as as a distraction. But that spider, the round part, can kind of open up in the back, and a little jetpack nozzles will come out. so Spidey, I guess, can fly now with rocket power. When Spidey is doing his science work in the lab, the spider can completely detach itself from its his back. And be a robotic spider. Jim, I don't know if this is anything like what they're doing with the rides with the robot spiders there.
0: I was about to, to wonder the same thing.
1: They, they do look a bit like that. If you look at the toys that, that Disney was selling, um, this, this does resemble that. So there may be a little synergy going on with uh, product development and the print of Marvel. And then the final thing the spider does, and this is where I, I go crazy. The uh, little spider bot, let's say Spidey's swinging around the city and uh, the goblin comes to do battle on his goblin glider. Well, this spider can come off of his back entirely like a spider robot, Hmm. like we mentioned earlier, but the legs will spread out. And little webs of, or, or I guess, like, you know how bat wings are? Hmm. Where they have it's really their hand and it's just the, the skin between the fingers is what actually makes the wing. It's the same thing, but with spider legs. There's a, a fabric that kind of goes between the four legs and it turns into a glider. And Spidey can stand on it and glide now instead of flying or his traditional <laughs> swinging. And the drawing, I thought, looked kind of cool. But then I said, if I ever see this in a movie, yes, I will indeed burn down the theater. Because I I don't think it would translate to live action. Plus, he gets around by webbing. Do do we really need a jetpack? And do we need the glidey thing? But, Mm -hmm. again, this is Osborne tech in a spider suit. So I don't know if... And this is a relaunch starting over at number one. So who knows? Maybe Norman is behind the spider mask this time. Maybe it's not even Peter. You know, I, I don't know what... The storyline is for this Oscorp tech-inspired spider suit, but they're saying issues six and seven is when it's revealed, and they've got some drawings of of all the changes to the suit with little schematic-type notes about what each thing does. And uh, on print, it looks like fun. Just don't you dare put it in the MCU, damn it.
0: (laughs) Okay, Okay. And and... and You also had some news in regard to, what, the the Warner acquisition of Discovery? Nope, that's backwards. Ah, there we go. My mistake.
1: It's Discovery's acquisition of Warner, Mm -hmm. which leads to the headline of the Discovery execs are thinking about making changes in the Warner Brothers uh, hierarchy, Mm -hmm. where they believe the DC Extended Universe, or the Direct Competition's Extended Universe, needs a Feige-like figure to control all that stuff that's mm-hmm. going on. And they were very aware of the fact that Marvel has successful films mm-hmm. that can lead directly into successful streaming shows, which provide a wonderful reason for subscribers to give all their hard-earned cash as revenue to Disney. Uh, and they're like, why, why aren't we getting that, guys? Why don't you have this stuff worked out? And they they looked at uh, Peacemaker as an example of look at this James Gunn kid over here from the Marvel side of the fence. Look what he did. He took a, a bull <laughs> character <laughs> from the Suicide Squad movie mm-hmm. and turned him into a freaking legend because of a use of you know excellent weird odd humor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's allowed to be gory. It's allowed to be filthy. And I think we just need someone to guide you and direct you. And obviously the chuckles at Warner brothers are not DC fans. Otherwise there'd be a guy on this doing nothing else, but I live, eat and breathe DC. I want this to be my job for the rest of my freaking life. Mm -hmm. No one's doing that. There's a a committee and they go find a director and they do a thing and it's a one-off and then they go to the next and it's a one-off and they did have a universe and it fell apart. And now, you know, it's like, well, we did a TV show for HBO max, but what's next? Do we have anything lined up? Not really.
0: And well no, it just it's it's particularly at this moment where I don't know if you saw the news just today that Second time in a month, Ezra Miller has been arrested in Hawaii. And yeah, my
1: wife brought that up as well. Yeah. So it's not like we're going to have that Flash character be invited to any more of the Justice League cocktail parties anytime soon.
0: Yeah. And and think about it—he just made the appearance in you know the, the season one finale of Peacemaker. Yeah, it's the notion of you put all of this time, all of this money into a Flash film that you are. Still delivering in 2023, but it's like, how do you promote this now when you've built it around an actor who is burdened with this sort of publicity? Right. You know, they've got like the Batman
1: movie. There were things I really, really enjoyed about it. But Colin Farrell. Whoever did the makeup for that guy, they deserve many, many awards because I stared at him for like an hour on screen and could never, ever once see him under the makeup. Mm -hmm. The way that he looked did not look like a synthetic human being with rubber plastered all over their face. That looked like a real human being's face, the the pores in the skin and like everything. Mm -hmm. It was just freaking immaculate, the work that they did to hide Colin Farrell under all of that. And then the performance that he gave was also spectacular. And apparently everyone agrees because they were talking about a penguin spinoff, like a TV series, Mm -hmm. just like Peacemaker. Well, that was popular. Let's put the penguin in a TV series. And it's like, well, what about the Batman? (laughs) You know, it's like, I, I don't think they're working on a sequel to that version of the character at the moment. This was supposed to be a one-off. And it, and Matt Reeves said before he even went into this movie was, I do not want to have to tie this to the rest of anything in the DC Extended Universe. I just want Batman by himself with no crap around it. So part of his deal was, you cannot make me put in Superman or the Green Lantern or none of that. It's just a Batman story. It's a one-time deal. I'm not coming back for a second one. And they went, okay, do it. And he went, i got to make a Batman movie. So, so he made it, and, and a lot of it is very, very good, uh, even great. And uh, now they're like, well, uh, we need a sequel. We need a spinoff. And it's like, yeah, well, I, mean, I didn't sign up for that. So now Penguin gets a spinoff, but Batman gets written out of the universe. How does this work? Mm. You know, that, I think that's kind of where Discovery is at when they're looking at Warner Brothers going, what the hell is your game plan? Because it seems like you're going in 10 different directions, and there is nobody at the head of the ship right now steering the wheel.
0: The folks at Discovery are looking over at Marvel Studios and thinking, oh, I wish we had that. But earlier this week, you've got Oscar Isaacs starring in your new hit limited series for Disney Plus, Moon Knight. But how does Mr. Isaacs turn up in the news? He and his family journey down to Florida for a well-deserved vacation. But where does he get his picture taken? He's over at Universal in front of their globe not at a Disney park at, at at Universal, and sometimes you can't win for losing. You look at the polished Disney promotional machine and the amazing planning at, at Marvel, and and nobody knew that Oscar Isaacs was going to Florida, or for that matter, that he'd go to Universal. Right. Okay, moving on from Mr. Isaac and his to Florida vacation. Last show, we were talking about how for weeks now we've been building toward episode four and the the big twist, the big reveal, and what did you think
1: of that? I think hype killed this one for me is the brutal truth on that one because everyone said, oh, big, huge twist at the fourth episode, and it's going to blow your mind wide open to little bits. And I watched the episode, and I went, what? Wait, was that the thing? Uh, wait, no. Is is this the thing
0: that I'm supposed to be excited about? Is where? Yeah, I, I. You're not wrong. I was thinking the same thing through the episode. Is 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 it when Mark is revealed to have been there when Layla's dad was killed, or or was it this whole clean white mental hospital thing where we meet a lot of the performers we've previously seen in Moon Knight, only in different roles? I mean, I. I, and then, of course, there is the hippo lady who comes at the end. By the way, I've been informed that is Twarinet, who is the Egyptian god of childbirth and fertility. So don't get me wrong. I enjoyed this episode. I particularly loved all of the Egyptian lore and mythology that got thrown Like, for example, the layout of Amet's tune being you know, shaped like a, you know, an eye and a nose and, and that sort of thing got to tell you, not a big fan of, of <laughs> Fresh Blood Trail and Viscera. Now I'm trying to convince Marvel to put more blood
1: and gore into Werewolf by Night. So,
0: uh, uh, well, d- Marvel, do to Jim Hill. He's just uh, got a thing about blood, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, what about the blue humanoid creature thing? A cursed attendant? What do you think that was? It was like the mummy
1: doing the mummy ritual on the body yeah. there. Yeah. Well, I mean, since we're in a, an Egyptian pyramid, I mm. would be disappointed if there weren't some freaky, dried up corpse like thing running about somehow. Mm -hmm. I mean, you kind of need that in order to, you know, justify why you're in a pyramid. Um, So the fact that, yeah, you've got a a creepy monster thing. I don't know. I mean, it's like the Anubis dog from the first episode that didn't show up on the Um, videotape. I mean, there are so many things that are are not quite explainable. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I really care about the explanations in this one. I do care that when I was going into episode four... I was starting to think in my head, you know, this reminds me of the old Incredible Hulk where an mm-hmm. episode would start and you had Bill Bixby for about, you know, 25 minutes of the film. And he told everybody, don't make me mad. Mm-hmm. But someone went ahead and made him mad anyway. And you got five minutes of Lou Ferrigno painted green. And I felt the same way about Moon Knight. As you got Oscar Isaac doing his thing for about, you know, 25 or 30 minutes of the runtime, And then mm-hmm. something happens and then he has to be Moon Knight for about five minutes, and then you know Moon Knight disappears. They're using the, the character very sparingly. Mm. And then episode four comes, and Lou Ferrigno's not in this damn Hulk show at all. Like, where, where's my Moon Knight? I understand that they captured the god in a little mm. trophy thing, statue, mm. and put him on a shelf, and he can't use his powers. But uh, I still want my Moon Knight. And I don't know how, maybe in a flashback, I don't care how you give it to me, but give me some Moon Knight in the show called
0: Moon Knight. But at the same time, I mean, think about you're wandering the tombs. And and in fact, I I loved the scene in the the tomb of Alexander the Great, especially, you know, Stephen, you know, kept apologizing to to Mr. Great. But actually, I think my favorite scene out of the show, Oscar Isaacs wasn't in it at all. The the scene between Christian Bale, you know, Harrow and Layla. You mean Ethan Hawke? Uh, excuse me Ethan Hawke my mistake but yeah the the scene there where Harrow revealed to Layla that you know what had happened to her dad and the role that Mark played and that was some great understated acting by the two of them right there in a a pretty bizarre setting
1: right and I like the the way that he portrayed the doctor when we got into the
0: white setting inside of
1: the mind of the characters and we get the little the TV performance of
0: um, oh, Dr. Stephen Grant.
1: Yes, 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 Dr. Stephen Grant. In the uh, mm-hmm. And they're doing like their Indiana Jones Temple of Doom type
0: adventure movie of I the think week. it was called Tomb Buster or something yeah, like that.
1: You know, yeah, it was so. really on the nose. And, and that's fine. It, you know, you got to point to your little benchmark there and say, this is what we're mm-hmm. emulating. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, it but it, it makes you wonder, where do these personalities come from, right? I mean, this was a, a human who was born as an individual and he mm-hmm. developed a fully formed personality at some point. Where did that come from? What was the seed that became a tree in his mind? Was it a character on TV? Or was it an imaginary friend that he just grew along the way for some other reason because he just liked archaeology and Egypt for some reason? I mean, wh- where does these characters come from? And then uh, I think... When we finally get to uh, the rattling sarcophagus at the end,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that's a Jake in the box
0: because uh, we are waiting on. You know that that's yeah. the interesting thing. Both Stephen and Mark. There have been moments where I wasn't in charge. I wasn't in charge, so it's like, yes, I'm. I'm waiting for my cab driver. Yeah. Also, I that hippo seemed very friendly. I you know, which I guess you know when you're a, a the Egyptian god of childbirth and fertility, you can afford to be friendly. but
1: it's just... <laughs> That's how you get to be the, the god of, of childbirth, is you start off by being very friendly
0: indeed. There we go. There we go. So t- only two episodes left. I, I have to admit, I'm fascinated as to where we go from here. But speaking of places to go, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout opens on May 27th. But just this past Sunday... They began doing cast member previews at Epcot at the World Discovery. And the folks who took part in this preview didn't get the full pre-show. So, you know, the setup for this attraction is a little bit hard to understand at this point. But the villain of this attraction is the Celestial Eson. The story is Eson, a celestial, wants to take control of an infinity stone and change the fate of Earth. And the Guardians of the Galaxy can't let this happen. So the storytelling coaster that you ride on past these massive screens, and now we understand why they had to be massive, because you're, you're dealing with a giant celestial. You see this the celestial reaching out for the Guardians or swatting away Nova Corps ships that have been sent to stop him. I kind of feel bad... For the imaginers building an attraction around a celestial, i got to wonder if they were like, oh, The Eternals, it's going to be such a hit film and everybody will know who a celestial is. So, you know, go ahead, use that. You know, everyone's going to know who the supersized character is. And given that we supposedly have a Fantastic Four movie coming to the MCU sometime in the next five years, you got to wonder if once that happens... Whether or not we might see a re-theme of a Cosmic Rewind so we could get a Galactus...
1: I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, but there is over in Japan a, Mm. I want to say it's a zipline ride that goes through the mouth of Godzilla. Have you ever seen that?
0: Yes. Okay. I have seen the images and I, you know, yes, I want to go.
1: Yeah. But imagine if they were to build a giant like Galactus head or something, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, he's coming to eat the earth, build Mm -hmm. a giant head, have him shoveling some earth into his mouth and have your, your car ride go like zipping through his hand right by his teeth or something as he's getting ready to take a bite out of the car you know that that would be fun I can see that being a good time wow you know all you got to do is put two large sails up on top of uh, was it Space Mountain and Mm -hmm. you've almost got his helmet made
0: you're not wrong so all right anyway uh, folks who have ridden the Guardians ride so far which by the way three minutes along that's especially long for a coaster have said it is smooth and fun. Other thing worth noting is much like with Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout at Disney's California Adventure, music is a huge component of the show. There are six different songs that I guess are on Peter Quill's mixtape that you can experience as you ride. They have uh, September from Earth, Wind & Fire, Disco Inferno from The Tramps, Conga from Gloria Estevan and the Miami Sound Machine, We have Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears, I Ran from Flock of Seagulls, and finally, one way or another, from Blondie. And you get to hear this music crystal clear because each of the ride coaster vehicles, which, by the way, are supposedly called Star Jumpers, have their own onboard audio system. And more to the point, guests just don't know which song they're going to hear in advance of their ride. Beyond that... They are still working on this attraction. I mean, cast members' previews will continue for the next couple of weeks. And folks who were there on Sunday talked about how the place reeked of fresh paint. And again, they didn't get the full show or see the proper setup because the, a lot of the pre-show scenes weren't, haven't been handed off to Ops yet. But again, more fun than thrilling, still a great addition to Epcot's World Discovery area. And the big question now, Aaron, is will Scarlett Johansson get to experience this ride? Because I have been told that she is reportedly in town right now vacationing with her family. So I guess people need to keep an eye out for whether or not she appears in the parks and whether or not they backdoor her into Gardens of the Galaxy, which again, Opens up on May 27th of this year. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show, Aaron. As always, we like to remind folks they can find us on social media. Can you tell folks uh, where they might be able to find you?
1: Certainly. Head on over to Twitter and look up at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D, and you'll find uplifting little tidbits of information. For example, if you're ever feeling blue, Jim, Mm -hmm. Just put on some flip-flops. Every step you take is like a high-five for your foot. Just cheers me up every time I think about
0: that. Okay. Beyond that, uh, folks, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show, uh, that would be very helpful. Let's see. What else? Oh, uh, I want to remind you we have a couple other podcasts here. We have Disney Dish with uh, Lentesta. And uh, we also have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We just literally recorded a brand new show of that tonight. And I guess for now, that's going to do it. So uh, thank you so much for listening. And Aaron and I will be back next week.